Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's How Do We Fix It with Richard and Jim. Pay to play. Is it a menace to society? Jeff Cologne. Usually when you see something trending on Twitter, when you go to that trend, a bot has become the most retweeted, so it ends up at the top of the feed. So you think that the world is this place just filled with hate. And, but when and you they're dig not down, real people. They're not real people. And when you dig down deep, you realize that that's programmed by people who know how to game the system. We know, based on science, that 90% of people only read a headline before they actually share that information. They don't even read the actual content itself. Certain players own a lot of the platforms that we get most of our information from. Um, And that seems to be concentrating or contracting more and more. And uh, now you almost think to yourself, you know, who's really in power out there? Is it the politicians or is it really the tech companies that control a lot of the information that is distributed to us? Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How How do do we we fix fix it? it? How do we fix it? So Richard, today we're going to be joined by a fellow podcaster, and we're going to be talking about digital disruption, people fighting for space in our brains, and the whole concept of pay to play. Yeah, pay to play has never been bigger than it is today. Our guest is Jeffrey Colon, an expert on marketing tech and how to get people's attention in this time of tumult. He's also a communication designer at Microsoft. And Jeffrey's the author of Disruptive Marketing, uh, what growth hackers, data punks, and other hybrid thinkers can teach us about navigating the new normal. And the host of the podcast, Disruptive FM. And welcome to our table, Jeffrey. Thank you. And thanks for flying all the way in from Redmond, Washington. Yeah, it feels good to be back in my hometown in New York City. So let's start right away with a, with a definition. What is pay to play? Pay-to-play is the ability to use either money or another form of reciprocity to gain power, to gain attention. The pay-to-play that we know of in the advertising world is the ability to show up in a news feed because of the platform culture that we live in 
Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and get your message seen and heard by others. So is pay-to-play a bigger deal now than it ever has been before? Absolutely, and it's because of the change in how we actually behave online. In the old days, we would surf the web. We would go to destinations. You know, you would go to the New York Times. Now, the New York Times has to come to you, and they have to pay to get that attention by actually showing up in your news feed, and that doesn't just come organically anymore. That happens through a lot of paid targeting that exists on these platforms in which we're served information. You say a lot of people are are confused by the difference between an ad or an editorial or a genuine piece of news or fake news. How do you tell the difference? Well, one of the ways is you can't just tell based on what's in your news feed. Almost all actions on these platforms have a call to action. They want you to click on a link, which either takes you to a third-party website or it is an instant article where you're not necessarily leaving the platform and you're able to read that information right then and there. One of the ways that I like to look at it is, you know, reading throughout the actual content itself, what are their objectives? What are they trying to state? Um, Is it basically written with a, uh, like an opinion piece, so to speak? Does it have any quotes? Does it have any third party sources? So there's no way to tell necessarily from just looking at the sponsored ad in your feed. You have to actually look at it and figure out what is their overall objective. Many times it's just to get a number of clicks or click throughs to their site so that they get more traffic. And from that traffic, they can then raise their advertising rates. And that's why you see so much information jamming actually taking place on a lot of these actual news sources now where they have the most outrageous Uh, headlines because we know based on science that 90% of people only read a headline before they actually share that information. They don't even read the actual content itself. So I look at everything and I suggest everyone else actually dissect and read things if they want to figure out what's real and what's not. Are we getting better or getting worse at being able to really sort through our sources of information to figure out what's true? Unfortunately, I think we're getting worse. I mean, there was a recent uh, study done with college students where they couldn't tell the difference between what was real, what was fake, what was a opinion editorial, what was a sponsored advertisement, what was a native advertisement. They couldn't tell the so difference between any of these. For things. the audience, a native advertisement is sort of what in print used to be called an advertorial. Yes. It's basically some content written by or for the advertiser, but it's dropped into the rest of the content from a certain news source in a way that looks very similar to the other stories on that channel, usually labeled, but maybe not in a very prominent way. Yes, in that case, it's not fake news. It's exactly as you alluded to. It's an ad. But people think it's actually news because they can't tell the difference between what's the news and what's an advertisement because advertising has sort of blurred the lines here. So this question of these mega platforms, you know, Google, Facebook, Twitter, you were a big advertising executive for a long time. Now you're part of a digital behemoth yes. at Microsoft. How have you seen this develop? Certain players own a lot of the platforms that we get most of our information from. Um, and that seems to be concentrating or contracting more and more. And uh, now you almost think to yourself, you know, who's really in power out there? Is it the politicians Or is it really the tech companies that control a lot of the information that is distributed to us? 
You say that a small number of players own the platforms that most of us play on. What are, what are they? Well, think of your own daily life. Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Google. Just a very small amount of people that uh, control how information reaches us. At the same time, these platforms also have the pay-to-play tools to actually amplify our target information to users of those platforms. And when you control the platform, you may think you're a tech company, but you're also an editor. That's right. Mark Zuckerberg has had a hard time answering the question if he's a media company or if he's a tech company. I think he wants to remain a tech company because there's less regulation there. The second he says he's a media company, well, the federal government's going to say, hey, wait a minute, you have to follow certain rules. And just days days ago, before we sat down here, Zuckerberg issued a kind of manifesto on Facebook, and he talked about trying to build the social infrastructure for community, saying that the, that the future for Facebook will be keeping us safe, informing us, and also for civil engagement. I thought, wait a minute. He's running an old newspaper. (laughs) That's right. And, you know, what's interesting there is tech has a tendency of thinking that uh, if there's an issue out there, more tech will solve it. And I think in this case, this is a human issue. This is a problem that exists where we have uh, information that is only coming to us from players who can actually pay to get it to us. And more tech isn't going to necessarily solve for that. It actually might exacerbate it and make it much worse. It could make it worse. I mean, if you think about it, uh, digital tech reduces the friction in everything it touches. It makes it easier for things to happen. If they're good things, if it's efficiency, that's wonderful. But they're not automatically good things, as we see from some of these issues of hate speech. All of a sudden, who knew that Twitter, which is a platform I love, could wind up being this place where even somebody like me who's not particularly politically extreme gets I think, all kinds. I think you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, you know, I mean, I'll get hit if I say something mildly critical of Trump. I'll get hit from all these crazy Trump, you know, practically neo-Nazi bots. I don't know if they're real people or not. But all of a sudden, this platform has been hijacked for an agenda that was so fringe and really almost invisible. And I think now making it seem much bigger than it actually is. Yeah, I mean, we call them frogs. I mean, in some cases, I don't think they're actually real people. I do think they're bots. And in that case, who are those bots programmed by? Someone who has money or the ability to pay to play in this political universe that's really changing, where real people aren't talking to each other, but bots are talking to other bots. So what are frogs and bots? And what's the difference between a frog and a bot? Well, a frog is a term for, uh, you know, as Jim alluded to, these neo-Nazis who sort of are all over Twitter. There's this image. It's kind of become a symbol of the alt-right, and they tend to reinforce this, typically this alt-right message. Yes. I mean, an interesting statistic in this past election was Trump had five bots to Hillary's one bot. So there was that strategy there of using bots to create conversation. And usually when you see something trending on Twitter, when you go to that trend, a bot has sort of become the, the most retweeted, so it ends up at the top of that feed. So you think that the world is this place just filled with hate. And, but when and you they're dig not down, real people. They're not real people. And when you dig down deep, you realize that that's programmed by people who know how to game the system. And it's taken away from sort of the organic feel of these platforms. And it's, it's also influenced the way people speak. Even, I mean, that they feel they're entitled not just to say, I disagree with you, but yell at you and, and call you stupid. And the interesting thing is, I've started doing this more, pushing back politely against people who diss me on, on mm-hmm. Twitter. Right. And then all of a sudden... In some cases, they recover their manners and go, oh, sorry, man, I wasn't meaning to be disrespectful. 
Yeah, I mean, we have a lot of people behaving behind a keyboard, but if they were in the room with you, they would act totally different. Uh, We like to call these keyboard muscles, you know, these people who sort of act a certain way because they know that they're not in the same room and they and they can act in in a rude manner. And and unfortunately, it is something that has overtaken sort of our, our online life. I want to talk a little bit about the way that digital technology has also created new opportunities for disruption, including for marketers. You talk about this concept called information jamming. Can you explain that? Yeah, you know, it's something that I noticed a lot of fringe characters use this technique where they push the envelope and you don't know if what they're saying is real or not. And we see this with the Milos of the world, with a number of politicians we've seen this. I think with Donald Trump, he used information jamming and still does to his benefit. If we think about how the social web works now, you gain information and then it's as quickly as you gain it, it's gone because there's more information coming in. So it's all about how do you gain people's attention? But uh, uh, a lot of companies have used it to just gain attention for whatever they're trying to do. And that is now being used by a number of people. I I even think in some respects, um, fringe journalists are using it because they're trying to basically gain attention from the big media players that are out there. There was a fascinating piece the other day by a guy named Ryan Holiday, who did did PR for this writer, Tucker Max, very controversial character. So they would put up an offense subway ad for Tucker Max's book and then the publicist would call in complaints to the subway to the transit company or they would and, they would, and the aim was to get them banned so right. then there'd be a story about yeah them. or they would you know schedule a talk and then and then he would try to get uh, some group on campus to protest it and try to get the talk banned because he said we don't need to sell a book to everyone <laughs> We need to sell books to 20% of people or whatever the number is that might really be into this message. So very negative publicity is actually good for us if it reads as positive to that minority of people that go for this kind of thing. And that's where information jamming is powerful because it's not going for the mass. It's going for niche audiences. And again, the web has allowed us to live in a niche world. We don't need to be part of mass culture anymore. In fact, I would actually go on the record and say, I don't think mass culture exists anymore. I think it's sort of been destroyed by the social web. That brings us on to the solutions part of our show. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And our guest is Jeff Cologne, the disruptive marketer. And It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Uh, We'll be right back. 
Jeff Cologne with us on how do we fix it. So let's look at some things that can be done perhaps to improve this situation we're now in, which is deeply confusing when it comes to receiving information or even people paying to play to influence our behavior. Um, You mentioned the role of schools, um, colleges. I would argue that it should start at high school. Yeah, I mean, I think it should start, you know, in elementary school in the respect of uh, people understanding what's fake and what's not, and also how to diagnose news. I mean, I think, uh, you know, we're bombarded with tons of information now, and we can never really tell, you know, what is this clickbait or is this actually, does it have sources in it? And if we think about journalism from back in the day, you would have to have two or three sources if you ever did a news story. At least that's what I was taught when I was a journalism major at Lehigh University. Hey, you have to have three sources. Otherwise, this is not really a news story. A lot of the things we see now have no sources whatsoever. Are there commentary on somebody else's story using it for their own sort of op-ed type opinion columns? They don't feel the need to go back and check that information. And an awful lot of not necessarily flat out wrong, but sloppy takes get distributed widely in that way. Yeah. So I think in some respects, we have to get people to understand, you know, what are they reading? Is it an op-ed? Is it a news story? And that way they can start to diagnose those things. Because a lot of the things we see that are fake news, and you see this quite a bit on Facebook, there'll be a publication like the Wall Street Journal. They'll have an article. It's an opinion editorial. And the first comment right on the Facebook post is fake news. Stop publishing this. I mean, these are adults who just don't like what they're hearing, but don't realize this is an opinion editorial. That's a person's opinion, but I think people can't diagnose these things. So what's going to hold us together in the civic square? Well, I think we need equal opportunity with a variety of different messages. What's happening now in the pay-to-play sphere is the more powerful are able to get the attention for their messages. And those messages might not necessarily be good for society at large. And if we think back in the day, there was the fairness doctrine. So you had to give equal opportunity to different points of view. That was the fairness doctrine that was around through the 50s, the 60s, and the 70s. It started to go away under President Reagan in the 1980s. That's correct. And I think we need that again with the new media that we're in now. So Jeff, I'm going to push back, play my role as the uh, as the podcast curmudgeon on the fairness doctrine idea. I would argue that we don't need a government-mandated fairness doctrine. Maybe we need a change in philosophy on the part of the major media platforms to encourage more transparency. But I would be very leery about giving the power to any government institution to do that. Yeah, I mean, I think where I'm going more with this is the tech platforms themselves actually give – uh, non-for-profits or other organizations that don't have money to use for pay-to-play and say, hey, we'll give you some credits to actually use our platform. I know Google does this. They give non-for-profits AdWords so they can actually advertise on Google. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to afford it. So this is the modern tech equivalent. I think it's a great idea of PSAs, public service announcements, which, you know, where, for instance, one of the great examples of using public service announcements well was the decline in cigarette smoking. A lot of that came through public health announcements on TV and radio, encouraging a change of behavior. Yeah, I mean, the the PSAs, I mean, I'm thinking back to my college radio days, 
we had to have a certain amount of public service announcements we played. And if you think about your feed now and all the things you see, most of it's advertising. Maybe we have to get to that again, just so that we are creating trust with everyone that we are, uh, you know, that does business with us by using our platforms. We want to make, make sure that they're aware of information that they may not ever get in their news feed. Could you see the major players in the tech industry, say your company, Microsoft, getting together with Facebook, getting together with Twitter and agreeing on some kind of, of industry way, standards, industry standards. <laughs> yes. You know, in some respects, I think the, you know, here in the U S because of the way that, you know, regulation isn't necessarily enforced. I don't know if it's necessarily if, if companies are going to, you know, you know, move toward, you know, trying to do that. However, in the EU or the UK, I could see them saying, Hey, um, you have to get together and come up with a standard here because uh, this is for the benefit of, of society as a whole. Um, but I do think it would also be in the best interest of the companies, as you said, Richard, because trust is a major factor in the tech world. I think it's in the best interest of the Microsofts, the Googles, and the Facebooks of the world to realize they need to have trust. Could you give me an example of how that might work? I mean, could there be like a, a logo or a label or a color code or, or what? Yeah, I think some of those things all come into in, into effect. I mean, especially in the visual world. And so people know actually what they're clicking on is, you know, either, you know, paid for or that, the, you know, it's an opinion piece. Uh, something that's a differentiator, I think, to, to help in some respects. You know, a couple of years ago. Uh, Facebook didn't know what to do with all of the satire sites that were on the platform because there were people literally thinking, oh, this is a real news story. But it was from The Onion. Yeah, they couldn't tell the difference between what was humor and what was real. That's, that's an education problem. So we're having so much fun here with Jeff Cologne, Jim. I think we should forego our conversation. What? Do you mean we're not going to get a chance to <laughs> no, get into our usual no. knockdown, drag-out debate? <laughs> no, I think we should ask Jeff another question. And you can interrupt. I'm interested in this question of trust also in terms of you, you alluded to all the information we give up. One of the effects of this limited number of platforms that we interact with is that a small number of digital behemoths know a frightening amount about everything we do. And I think most of us are okay with it for now because we do sort of trust them, but should we? Yeah, you know, I think we do trust them because we want a better experience. And in some ways, we give information to these platforms without really knowing it. Like, I love the example on Facebook when everyone knows your birthday. But Facebook wants that information because then they can give that to advertisers because they know how old you are and they can then target you for specific things. They're not going to target you as a 65-year-old for a – For you know, acne cream. Exactly. So <laughs> a lot of the things that uh, – you know, the information or the signals that we give on these platforms are subtle, but we're also looking for that better experience. We don't want a lot of those ads, as Richard alluded to, that don't make any sense to us. Jeff. Before we wrap the show up, because we've gone so long, I don't think we're going to have a discussion on our own. It's bad. I think we just had it. Yeah. (laughs) But do a plug for your show. I mean, you're a, you're a rival podcaster. We're urging people to to go from our show. It's a mutual, it's not a rival thing. It's a mutually supportive (laughs) community. (laughs) Okay, great. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't, uh, yeah. Tell Tell us about your show. 
So it's the marketing podcast for eccentric minds. It's called Disruptive FM, um, hosted by myself and Cheryl Metzger, who is uh, director of strategy for Wirestone, a digital agency in Chicago. And we usually pick uh, one topic and talk about what is facing marketers. It's a weekly podcast, and um, we like to talk about things that are a little bit left of center or weird in the world of marketing because uh, creativity is is probably that big asset that we have a tendency of forgetting about in our, our ever-growing analytical world. One of your latest shows, episode 63, I think it was, with Cheryl, uh, where you talked about the limits of data and, and the need for there to be more human input. I really like that, that yeah. message you had. Thank you. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And our producer is Miranda Schaefer. And the music is by Lou Stravinsky. Our intern is Julia Beckett-Lewis. And we are produced by Davies Content. We make digital audio for companies and nonprofits. Get in touch with us at DaviesContent.com. Thanks for joining us. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.